To be a healthy Christian, you need a healthy church. Welcome to Radical with David Platt. For more gospel-centered resources from Radical and David Platt, visit us at our website, Radical.net. While many Christians today tend to have an individualistic or self-centered concept of the Christian life, the Bible places a high priority on the church community. Here's David with the sermon titled, Defining Church, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to find with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this last kind of key term when we think about missions, I want us to think about the church together. So who is a church or what is a church? And this is so important. I, uh, I, just, I think about a missions flyer I got in the mail one day, and it was from a missions organization saying... For $20 a month, you can plant a church in this particular country. And it went on to talk about just the rate of church growth in that place. And then I dove in a little deeper and found out that this is a mission organization that was basically defining the church as wherever two or three people are gathered, that is a church. So wherever you have two or three Christians, that counts the church. And ah, oh, that that flyer, that definition of church just grieves my heart because uh, it's not it's not the way the Bible defines church. And uh, in fact, it's a total abuse of that biblical passage wherever two or three are gathered. And I just I thought at that point, if we're not careful especially in our desire to report numbers and raise money for missions, we can totally prostitute the nations for the sake of our numbers. And it's, it's a dangerous tendency that we've got to avoid. When we think about the church, we need to make sure we have a biblical picture of the church in our hearts. When we think about planting the church around the world, especially when we're going into unreached people groups and places and this is the first time they're hearing the gospel we want to make sure we get the gospel right and the first time they're they're understanding what the church is we want to make sure we get the church right so what i want to do is i want to read one passage in first corinthians chapter 3 actually the uh, whole chapter so all the way down to verse 23 and uh, i want to show you three pictures of the church just real briefly here in this chapter, so as we read it, I want you to look for, there's three analogies or pictures of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then based on those three pictures, I want us to think about 12 characteristics of a healthy church that we see all over the Bible that then lead us to three critical implications. So if you're counting, so that's three pictures of church, 12 characteristics of a healthy church, three implications, that's like 18 points. You might be like, oh, this is going to last forever, but it's not going to last forever. We're going to go warp speed at points. We're not going to dive in depth into every single one of those characteristics of a healthy church, but I just want to, as best as possible, uh, take the next few minutes just to say this is what a church is biblically. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as I read through this chapter, kind of listen for, look for Three pictures or analogies of the church according to what Paul writes here. This is the word of God, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. All right, so, so do you see in there the, the first picture of the church? You get the setup in verse 5. Paul's addressing different divisions in the church. He starts using this agrarian imagery to talk about planting and watering. And then look at verse 9. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You, and he's speaking to the church here, he says, You are God's field. So there's the first picture. The church is God's field. So a picture of how when the gospel is planted, watered, God gives growth. God brings people to life like plants in a field. And so this is imagery. It's not imagery that just Paul uses. Think about Paul, uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is this if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seeds sprout and grow. He knows not how. So the man is working, scattering the seed. But it's a mystery to how it grows. And it's the creator God who's causing it to grow. And as with the kingdom, so with the church. The church is God's that he's giving life to, bringing life in with all these plants. Then, same verse, verse 9, you see a second picture. So the church is God's field, and then the church is God's building. So Paul introduces that picture in verse 9. He says, you are God's building, and he talks about it through verse 15. And I love the way Paul talks here about his work as a church planter, like a skilled master builder, laying a foundation for the church in Christ. And this is the work that... We missionaries do around the world. They're church planting. They're master building. And that's extremely serious work, Paul says. For everyone who is planting the church, their work will one day become manifest. The day of judgment, verse 13, will disclose it. Our work of church planting will be tested. Now, sometimes people mistake those verses that follow there as referring to 
the carnal or flesh-driven Christian that Paul addresses in chapter uh, earlier in chapter three. But Paul's talking here about church planners, so builders, people who are building the church, and he's saying you better build the church well on a firm foundation because eternity is going to show whether or not what you've built is going to stand the test of fire. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So these verses are a clear reminder that planting the church, building the church is no casual task that we're just free to do however we want. This is a serious task that we must make sure we're doing according to God's word. And while our salvation is secure, in that sense, we don't need to fear the day of judgment at all. The reality is God is going to judge how we build the church in our day. And that reality should cause all of us to tremble. The church is God's building. In the third picture, in the very next verse of verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple, verse 16, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Oh, what a great picture. So the church is the dwelling place of God, which we know. So Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our individual bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but he's talking here about his body, the church, in which his spirit dwells. So he's saying, church at Corinth, you are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you as a church. This is so important because Paul's We've been talking about in Corinthians here how the church was dividing over allegiance to this leader or that leader. And Paul's saying, you need to realize what you're messing with. The church, this is God's field, God's building, God's temple, the place where his Holy Spirit dwells. So work to build up and honor the church well. Don't treat the church casually. So I think about this chapter and I think about the world of missions that... Uh, when it comes to church planting around the world, God is saying clearly in his word to people whom he's calling out to plant and water all over the world, work hard to build the church wisely according to his word because God intends for his holy character to be put on display in what's called the church in the world. So that then leads to the question, how do we make sure we're building, planting the church wisely according to his word in a way that will stand the test the fire in eternity that's a question every member of a church every leader in a church and every church planter needs to answer this is why this this term church is so important we have clear biblical understanding of what a church is according to god's word so that leads then into 12 characteristics of a healthy church so that I want to and just want to hit on, and we see them, they're all over this book, 1 Corinthians, they're all over the New Testament, based on Old Testament foundations among God's people. So I want to hit on, uh, kind of go through some of these faster, hit on uh, and camp out on a couple of them, uh, but just to think together, okay, what, what makes a church? So this body of believers gathered together as a church, what, what, what marks that is it is it just two or three people gathered together so that's all or is there something more going on here and what we see in scripture are 12 characteristics so one would be biblical evangelism biblical evangelism and every single one of these characteristics will start with the word biblical because we're 
trying to say what is the church according to God's word, how God defines it. And it's interesting. Here in 1 Corinthians, this is exactly where Paul started in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with Jesus Christ proclaimed and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. It's where the church started in Acts chapter 2. Peter proclaiming, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. It's interesting. You go all the way back to Matthew chapter 16. It's the first time when the word church is mentioned in the Bible. It's Jesus in conversation with his disciples when he says, who do you say that I am? And uh, they talk about all the crowds, what they're saying. And he says, no, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks back at him and says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. It's the first time we see the word church used. I'll build my church, ecclesia, the word that Jesus uses there for church. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we don't have time to dive in depth into that passage and all that it means and the controversy that has come about from that passage throughout Christian history uh, when it comes to Peter. So is this Jesus saying Peter is the authority of the church that has led some to believe in papal su- uh, succession? So a pope, Peter kind of the first pope of the church, and that's where the authority of the church has has resided and whoever's been had the mantle passed on to them from Peter since then. And if you look in that text, though, you see, yes, there's something significant there about Peter, but what made Peter significant was his confession of faith in Christ. And it's that confession upon which the church is built. It's Peter standing up in Acts chapter 2 saying, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then, not just Peter, but all throughout the New Testament, whenever that confession is made and people come to faith in Christ, you're seeing the church expand. You're seeing you're seeing people come to Christ. That is the foundational confession of the church of Jesus Christ, that he is the son of the living God, come to save us from our sins. So biblical evangelism is foundation for the church. If the evangel, the gospel is not being proclaimed, then you don't have a church. So a church is a people who have come to faith in Christ based on the power of the gospel and they're proclaiming the gospel, biblical evangelism, which then leads to second mark of a, of a, of a healthy church, biblical discipleship. So this is what, and we've talked about this in disciple making, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we don't just evangelize and then move on. So it's just people who come to Christ. No, it's people who've been baptized. And we'll talk about more baptism more in a second. And are being taught to obey everything Christ has commanded us. And so what we see in Scripture is that that being taught to obey everything Christ has commanded us happens in the context of a local church. Biblical discipleship is not disconnected from a local church. It's actually part of the fabric of the local church. God's designed the church to be a community that's helping people grow in the image of Christ. This is so important because even when... People talk missions and disciple-making today. Oftentimes it's talked about disconnected from the local church. And there's all kinds of yeah, talk about disciple-making, emphasis on disciple-making that's not focused on local church involvement and being a part of a community of faith that's growing in Christ. And that misses the whole point of what Scripture is teaching. We're intended to grow in Christ as a part of a local church. Now you might say, well... Where do you see that in Scripture? Well, glad you asked. That leads to the third characteristic of a healthy church, biblical membership. Membership. So evangelism, discipleship, membership. Now, as soon as I use that term, I want to be careful and use that term because when I say membership, I'm not saying uh, having your name on a roll that means nothing. 
So that's oftentimes what people think about membership. So am I signed up somewhere? Is my name on a roll? Uh, this is, it's not saying this. So this is just very simply saying that a healthy church has an identifiable membership. And membership is a really good word. It's a biblical word. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. So just as the body, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Ten times in that chapter, Paul refers to Christians as members of the body, who each play different parts. So we're intended to be a member of the body of Christ. Now, at that point, some people might think, well, of course, we're all members of the body of Christ, i.e. the universal body of Christ, or everybody who believes in Christ. But is that what Scripture's teaching? You think about how the Bible shows the importance of local church membership. So the word for church, ecclesia, in the New Testament, that's literally a gathering. That's what the word ecclesia means, it's a gathering. And almost every time the word ecclesia appears in the New Testament, it's referring to a gathering of Christians in a particular place. So yes, yes, the Bible sometimes refers to the church as all believers throughout all time, but nowhere near the majority. Out of the 114 times we see ecclesia in the New Testament, out of 114, at least 90 of them refer to specific Local gatherings of believers. So examples like Acts 11.22, the church in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 1.2, the church of God in Corinth. Galatians 1.2, the churches in Galatia. So the different gatherings in Galatia. 1 Thessalonians 1, the church of the Thessalonians. You look at Romans 16.5, Colossians 4.15, Philemon 2. You see reference to the church that meets in a house. So the Bible puts clear priority on these local gatherings as visible expressions of the universal body of Christ. And in all these individual local churches, the Bible never refers to them as part of the church or component of the church. So Paul doesn't say to the part of the church that meets in Corinth. No, he says to the church at Corinth. So when we see the New Testament talking about the church, we see, yes, in one sense, the universal body of Christ made up of all believers around the world and really throughout history, but we also see, and far more so, we see local gatherings of believers who identify together with one another as the church in a particular place. When Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth, he was writing to a specific, identifiable group of people. When he talks about the church that meets in this particular house, he's referring to a specific, identifiable group of people. So a healthy church identifies themselves as a church. If you're in the New Testament and you're having a letter written to you, with the exception of a couple, like Paul writing to Timothy specifically as he's leading a church, you are, you are a part of one of these churches. You're in the church at Corinth. You're in the church of the Thessalonians. You're in, as a part of the church that meets in this house. So that's the question we all need to ask in our Christian lives. So what church am I a part of? Not just big picture church, all believers of all time, but what church? If, if I was getting a New Testament letter written to me by Paul, then what, what church would I be included in? Identifiable membership. So biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical membership. And then leads to, so fourth characteristic of a healthy church, biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. So this is one of the main issues Paul's addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We know it's a priority in all of his church planning. So he's appointing elders, overseers, pastors. So those three terms interchangeably used in the New Testament. He lays out their qualifications clearly in Titus 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And not everybody is intended to be an elder, pastor, overseer. 
So we know that because, well, not everybody in the church is male, and elders, pastors, overseers in the church are clearly men according to God's word. And just as a side note, this is uh, not an easy issue to address in some parts of the world um, where uh, it's more readily accepted in some cultures for women to be pastors, but this is where, and, and increasingly so, even in North America, this sort of got to be clear that cultural patterns and practices do not take priority over biblical parameters when it comes to the church. The Bible never affirms women as pastors. The Bible exclusively and explicitly affirms men as pastors. So in church planting, we explicitly and exclusively affirm men as pastors. Now, we don't in any way minimize the unique and wonderful and significant role that women have in the church according to God's design. But when it comes to pastoral leadership, God has called men to lead in the home in a unique way, Ephesians chapter 5, and to lead in the church in a unique way, First Timothy 3, 3, Titus 1. So male pastoral leadership is not some Western invention. It is God's invention. Just as God has designed marriage to be a complementary relationship between a husband as head and a wife as helper, that truth transcends culture. So God has designed elder pastor leadership in the church to be reserved for men, and that truth transcends culture. So... At the same time, we know that every man in the church is not supposed to be a pastor or leader for that matter. The Bible doesn't teach that everybody in the church is gifted by God with the same leadership capacity. That's the whole point. In membership, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, different people have different members. So not everybody is call, called to be a pastor. That's why you have these specific qualifications and particularly a competency qualification in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that says he must be, he must have all these things in his character and he must be gifted, able to teach. So what's significant for leaders in the church, pastors, elders, overseers, specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 3, is that they're able to teach the word, which leads to the next characteristic of a healthy church, biblical teaching and preaching. This is how Jesus leads his church. This is so critical. There's a sense in which I would put this characteristic of a healthy church at the top when it comes of essentials because everything flows from this, making sure that it's teaching and preaching of this word that is leading and guiding every facet of the church. Jesus is Lord over his church. He's given his word to form his people, to transform his people into the, the community he desires for them to be and into the followers of Christ that he desires for them to be. And he does that through faithful teaching and preaching of the word. So pastors, elders, overspears have one primary responsibility as they're living to model the character of Christ. They lead the church by teaching and preaching the word, by faithfully saying what God has said in his word. So that, that means in every church, we need to have pastors, elders, overseers who are faithfully teaching the word. When we plant churches, we need to be very intentional about raising up and training pastors who are able to faithfully teach and preach the word. This is something we all need. So there's a sense in which, yes, we read the Bible, I hope, on a regular basis in our lives, but that's not sufficient. We need the teaching of the word in the church. There's something unique that happens when we gather together corporately to hear the word taught us that we need in the church. Characteristic of a healthy church, biblical teaching and preaching. It leads to six characteristic of a healthy church, the practice of biblical ordinances. So biblical ordinances, specifically baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of which are highlighted in 1 Corinthians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about 
A believers are baptized in the name of Christ. First Corinthians 11, he talks about the Lord's Supper. So it's, it's clear all over Scripture. I mean, from the very beginning of the church, they believed and were baptized. And so we see this clear picture of baptism as a public profession of faith in Christ. Being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a fundamental part of the, uh, the Great Commission that we're called to do as the church around the world. To baptize people and then to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly, looking back to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, examining our hearts in light of his sacrifice for us and in a very real sense being nourished by his grace and his mercy toward us in worship, biblical ordinances. That leads to the seventh characteristic of a healthy church, biblical worship. So a church gathers regularly to worship God, to exalt God, to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs uh, with one another, to one another, to share testimonies of God's grace, to spur one another on toward Christ in worship. See that Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14 give us even instructions for worship. So a healthy church regularly gathers together for worship. That leads to eighth characteristic of a healthy church, biblical prayer. So we see this all over Scripture. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. You see every major move of the Spirit of God, advancement of the Gospel of God in the book of, book of Acts comes about as a response to the church praying. So there's a corporate picture of prayer that we see that marks the church in Scripture. So biblical prayer. Number nine, biblical fellowship. So think back to Acts 2.42. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so teaching of the word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That word fellowship there is koinonia. It really sums up what we see all over the New Testament when it comes to the one another's in Scripture. Love one another, serve one another, care for one another, teach one another, serve one another, admonish one another, exhort, build up, bear with one another. God's design is for His children gathered together into churches to do these one another's in each other's lives. We talked about this when we talked about missionary. Like No Christian intended to live their life in isolation. We need brothers and sisters around us who are spurring us on toward Christ in fellowship and keeping us from wandering away from Christ. And that's the 10th characteristic of a healthy church, biblical accountability and discipline. So accountability in the Christian life is normative and normal and, and must be from the foundation of the Christian life. An accountability that's accompanied by something we oftentimes don't talk about in some church discussions, and that's church discipline. I was just in, in my time with the Lord a couple of days ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul was emphasizing the need for discipline in the church. And it's interesting. So some might say, well, I mean, why would you include biblical accountability and discipline in a characteristic of a healthy church? I mean, is it really that essential? And it's interesting, you look back at the only other time that Jesus mentioned the church specifically, Ecclesia, when he talked about the church. So we talked about Matthew chapter 16, the confession of Christ is the foundational confession of the church. Then two chapters later, Matthew chapter 18, is when Jesus is talking about church discipline. And he basically instructs in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20, the church when you have a brother or sister who sinned against you, go to them and uh, confront them about that. If they won't listen to you, then bring along a couple of others in that process. And then if they won't listen to that smaller group, then he says, tell it to the church. He uses the word ecclesia, the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then uh, treat them as you would a, a tax collector. 
And so basically that, that picture there is Jesus has designed his church to be the means by which God brings erring, wandering children back to himself. He loves his people so much that when one of his children is continuing in unrepentant sin, he will send the entire church in love after them, drawing them back to Christ. That's the picture we see in Matthew chapter 18, which, by the way, is where uh, those verses that are totally abused uh, we see in Matthew chapter 18 in multiple ways. We see, again, I say to you, verse 19 in Matthew 18, if two or three of you agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So that is oftentimes an abused verse. That's clearly not a blank check for finding somebody else who agrees with you on just about anything. And poof, God responds to whatever you want. So the context there, Jesus has just finished talking about when you're confronting a brother in sin, Jesus is saying, no, this. When you gather together with a couple of other people and that brother to do this work of church discipline, you have the full support of the Father in what you are doing. And then he that leads to the next verse, where, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So that is not a definition of a church. This is specifically talking about church discipline when two or three people go to talk with a brother who is erring in sin. So, and then how many times is that verse abused? I mean, in a worship gathering, people might, uh, worship leaders, somebody might say, well, wherever two or three gather, Jesus is there. So we know we got two or three people here, so we can know Jesus is here. So don't say that. I mean, what about when I was in my prayer closet alone this morning? Does that mean Jesus was waiting for somebody else to show up before he came into the picture? Like, how many people does it take for Jesus to show up at a prayer meeting? How about... One. So Jesus is not saying, once you got two or three together, count me in. So don't say that. Jesus is not giving us a definition of when his presence is there. His presence is with us whenever we're seeking him, when, everywhere we go for that matter. But even in communion with him, even when we are alone. And it's not a definition of the church. Jesus is saying, when you're carrying this out, this church discipline, be assured you'll experience my presence in a powerful, poignant way in the middle of this process. So accountability and discipline are necessary characteristics of a healthy church. So two more characteristics. Number 11, biblical giving. Uh, we see all over Scripture from the very beginning as they're giving in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, all the way down. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 16 gives a picture of giving our resources on a regular basis for the building up of the church here and around the world, particularly in the midst of poverty. Biblical giving and then last characteristic of a healthy church, biblical mission. So a church is intentionally organized, designed by God to share the gospel, to make disciples in the community around it, and then to send out missionaries for the spread of the gospel far beyond that community. So the church has been given a mission. Local churches have been given a mission. Make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. And so to be a biblical church, we need to be about mission. So 12 characteristics of a healthy church, biblical evangelism, Discipleship, membership, leadership, teaching and preaching, ordinances, worship, prayer, fellowship, accountability and discipline, giving and mission. Now it's interesting, just kind of a side note, note what's not on that list. So location is not on that list. The location of a church, a gathering is not the essence of a church. So we know a church can meet in a building, a home, factory, rented space, inside, outside, under a tree. As long as that gathering is intentionally organized to carry out the functions of a healthy church. So we need to be careful not to despise churches that meet in buildings. And we don't despise churches that meet in homes. 
Because where they meet is not essential. It's what they do that's essential. Also not essential is whether or not a pastor, for example, is paid. So we see different pictures of ministry support and leadership in the church in the New Testament. And so whether or not a pastor, we don't despise churches where pastors are paid. We don't despise churches where pastors are not paid. This is not essential. It's not the essence of a church. These characteristics are the essence of the church. So we need to make sure to focus on the essentials and not on non-essentials. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But three implications that I just want to encourage you with based on this quick summary of, uh, of the church according to God's design in His Word. So three implications. One, we as followers of Christ must participate in a healthy church. So we've just seen in the Word the necessity of the church for every one of our lives, for our growth in Christ, for us to thrive in Christ. And so we need to prioritize in every one of our lives being a member of, a part of a healthy church where the gospel is being proclaimed, where discipleship is happening, where the word is being taught by biblically qualified leaders, where accountability and discipline and fellowship and prayer, all these things we're talking about are our realities. Now, obviously, no one church in this world is perfectly healthy in all these ways, but we want to be a part of a church that's as healthy as possible. And working in the church to help church, the church we're a part of grow into greater health on all these different levels. So I would encourage you to think about the church you're a part of and say, hey, is this, this church healthy in these ways? When if it's not, how can I be a part of helping and serving toward the end that we grow in health? This is important for every follower of Christ. I want to particularly apply this to missionaries who serve in unique settings and places around the world where there's a tendency to uh, be disconnected from the local church. Maybe you've been sent out by a church in North America and that, that church is sending you out, and you kind of say, well, that's, that's the church I'm a member of. The reality is, though, while that church has a unique part to play in sending you out and supporting you from a distance, all these functions of a church can't happen with people who are thousands of miles away from you. Like You need the church where you live and work. So I want to encourage, if you're a missionary serving the world, to the IMB or anywhere else, participate in a healthy church on the field where you are, which I know is uniquely challenging in many different settings. I mean, there might be a setting where it's just you and somebody else or you and another couple or family who are the only believers in that area. Well, if that's the case, then be the church as healthy as you possibly can be in that place. You need the church. Do this for your good, for the good of your soul. You need the church. God's designed you to grow in Him in the context of a church. And that setting needs a church there. They need a picture of Christian community, of the gospel on display in the unique way God has designed it to be on display in the church. So I know it's challenging for brothers and sisters around the world. I don't presume to know or even personally understand all those specific challenges. So this could be a house church, could be a church with national believers, this could be an international church. There's all kinds of different ways this could play out, but I want to encourage you to be a part of a church. And if you're in a house church, don't settle for just 
Letting that be a Bible study. Like a house church needs to be a healthy church in all the ways we just saw in the Word. Your soul needs the body of Christ. You cannot survive, much less thrive spiritually in your life and even more so in your work as a missionary without the uniquely God-designed community of brothers and sisters serving as the church around you, carrying out the church functions of the church for you and you doing the same thing in their lives. And in the process, showing as, as this outpost of the kingdom the beauty of the king in a place where there, there may be no church. We need to participate as members of healthy churches. That's first implication. Second, when we think about the spread of the gospel in the world on mission, we must plant healthy churches. So we need to participate in healthy churches, and then we need to plant healthy churches. We need to plant churches that look like what God has defined as the church. We do not have the option of coming up with our own design for the church. God has defined the church and we want to be faithful to plant churches according to his design, focused on these characteristics of a healthy church. And this is where uh, uh, I, I think about, I, I mentioned focus on the essentials, not the non-essentials. This is something the Lord has uh, had to teach me and continues to teach me. So just as a quick aside, I remember when I was pastoring, uh, the church at Brook Hills, and it's a, a large church, mega church, that I saw a lot of things in that model of church that uh, I didn't like. And at one point, I was just ready to just make, I mean, we had talked about radical things up to that point, but I, I was ready to turn the whole thing upside down. And I, I remember one night, uh, I wrote this manifesto, just kind of stayed up all night, 20 pages, like all the things that needed to change in the Church of Brook Hills. And I sent it off an email the next morning to uh, for our key leaders. And we got together and just ready to, hey, we're going to turn everything upside down. And about, about half of those leaders, after reading that manifesto, were like, man, that's awesome. And then the other half were like, man, that's not awesome. And uh, that began uh, some really, really good conversation in the days to come among our leaders. And it was so helpful. The Lord taught me so much because much of what I was focusing on was we need to do this or this different. Um, and I was focusing on a lot of non-essentials. And some of those brothers who were saying, hey, this is not so awesome, just were really helpful to me, bringing me back to what's essential in the church and how do we grow and what is essential in the church. That's a good conversation to have. When the churches we're a part of, how do we focus on the essentials, not the essentials, not the non-essentials. And then when we plant churches, let's make sure that we're planting the body of Christ in places around the world where there's maybe never been a local body of Christ. Let's make sure we focus not on non-essentials, but on the essentials when it comes to planting. So we want to plant healthy churches that are going to stand the test, that are going to survive that are going to thrive and stand the test in eternity. We need to participate in a healthy church. We need to plant in healthy churches. And then the third thing I would just say, so kind of an implication flowing from those first two, is we need to partner with healthy churches. So this is particularly when it comes to missions around the world, but really in the context where we all live, but specifically in missions around the world, I, I see a tendency sometimes. There are places in the world where the church does exist, but people will go and start doing church planning and totally bypass the church that already exists there. And so what I'm encouraging here is let's, let's not do that. Let's not plant the church 
And in the process, totally bypass the church that's already there. So let's, when we're in a particular place, going, especially if we're doing church planning in a, in a, in a new place where we're going to, let's let our first step be, what is the state of the church here? Are there churches here? If there are, how healthy are those churches? Or how open are those churches to growing in health? And to look for opportunities to come alongside and serve alongside the church in a place. Or even to do the work of church planning, not just alongside those already existing churches, but through those already existing churches. There are, there are churches in different places around the world that as we go as missionaries, that it would be wise for us to come alongside those churches and say, how can we do church planting together in this place, not separate from the church in that place? So all these things are so important. I'm convinced in the Christian life, but particularly in missions, as missionaries go out to participate in healthy churches. Like, how are we going to plant that which we don't prioritize in our own lives? That we participate in healthy churches, that we plant healthy churches. We're going to be held accountable before God for what we're calling churches and the work we're doing around the world. Let's be faithful to his word and to partner with churches to the extent it's possible to work alongside bodies of Christ and other believers in this work of church planting around the world. It is an awesome thought that we are when you use Paul's language from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are workers, skilled craftsmen, uh, building a foundation. We're building the church. In a real sense, that's what Paul is saying here. Obviously, we know in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. But how will he build his church? Through the people he's working in and through in a particular place. So let's build faithfully. We're talking about the body of Christ here. Let's treasure his body. We're talking about the bride of Christ. Let's treasure his bride. Let's not treat the church in any way casually. Let's make sure when we talk about planting the church and being a part of the church in the world that we're being faithful to what God has revealed in his word. Let's, let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the church. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your body, of being a part of your family, joined together with brothers and sisters. Uh, the privilege of being your temple, the place where your spirit dwells. Oh God, uh, thank you for this privilege you've given us. Help us, we pray. I pray you help me, help us all to be faithful members of a local church. And to grow in Christ there, to help others grow in Christ, to glorify your name as faithful members of a local church, wherever we are in the world. And then we pray, oh God, that you would give us grace in our local churches and in the work you've called us to do in different ways around the world, God, to be faithful to see your church expand into new places among new people groups to see the church planted more and more and more. And God, help us to be faithful in that work in planting your church according to your design for the display, we pray, of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To be a healthy Christian, we need a healthy church. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Radical with David Platt. We hope you've enjoyed the Mission Precision series. And remember, you can always access this content on our website by going to radical.net forward slash mission precision. There you can download the audio and video of the sermon, as well as the free discussion questions that accompany the series. Next week, a new series called Radical Restoration. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. We'll see you next time.